So we're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs, and today we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 23 to 27. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have your uh, mobile device, whatever, you can scroll there. This uh, text will be on the screen for those of you who don't have a Bible with, with you. But we are in Proverbs chapter 4, 23 to 27. This is a very um, well-known verse that it starts off with. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I had some uh, repairs done, some warranty repair done on the lights in our swimming pool, and the tech came out, a young man named Alex, who was covered in tattoos, and I was chatting with him while he was working, and on his right bicep, he had 423, and he had 316 on the left, and I said, oh, I know what those mean, and so we started talking about Proverbs 423, and so this is something that uh, many of us are familiar with, but I want to take some time uh, to consider it in-depth this morning and, and ask some diagnosis type of questions. So Proverbs 4, 23 to 27 this is the English Standard Version. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left to turn your foot away from evil. God, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. We pray that you would write its message on our heart, that it would come alive And have its power to transform us. God, I pray there would be a spirit of vulnerability and willingness to hear your voice. And that we would respond to your Holy Spirit. That our hearts would prove to be good soil for the seed of your word. And so we invite you to speak to us now. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Despite the fact I'm using the ESV, I titled the sermon, Guard Your Heart. Because that was the version that I grew up with. Guard Your Heart. You guys know, Guard Your Heart. And I was talking to Tiffany about this early in the week. Um, what does this passage mean? And whenever there's a, a common passage, something that lots of people are familiar with, we tend to front load in some application of that passage in a way that it connected to us in the past, and sometimes we move on from it only thinking about it that way. So I grew up in the church in my teenage years during the kind of purity culture movement, uh, the Promise Keepers conferences, and the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book, and we were all of us teenagers were trying to honor God in our interpersonal relationships, and so we all said no to dating and yes to courting, and oh, I don't know how many sermons I heard about how important it is as a teenager to guard your heart, and all of them had to do with holding back affection for the male-female relationship so that you didn't crush too hard on some poor girl and get distracted from what God was doing in your life. I heard so many sermons about that. In fact, I applied so many of those sermons, too. I was in my third year of marriage before I stopped guarding my heart. (laughs) It was so true. Ask Tiffany. She'd be like, yeah, it was just cold as could be. And I was like, am I done now? Can I stop? Yeah, yeah, you can. You're overguarding. So I don't know where this particular passage has landed for you or how its familiarity strikes you, but I want to take just a moment to consider what does it mean to guard your heart? Chapter 4, verses 23 to 27, they fall into a section that really could go back to verse 20 and read, and they're one of ten kind of fatherly appeals that Solomon's making to his son before he starts dispensing this kind of line-on-line wisdom that we traditionally know as the Proverbs in chapter 10. And so proverb, if this is all brand new to you, is just a pithy, short, memorable saying that encapsulates some 
universal truth or some uh, sage piece of advice. And all of us know Proverbs. And every one of these sermons, I've opened up with some Proverbs that are just commonplace that lots of us know. And most of them are not from the Bible. I thought of a couple more this week. How many of you guys in the kind of computer world know garbage in, garbage out, right? And that, that, that applies to a lot of parts of life, doesn't it? Our diets in particular, doesn't it? Garbage in, garbage out. Speaking of diets, how about work the plan and the plan works? No? No Weight Watchers people in here? No? All of you? All of you happy and content right where you're at. All right, well, there you go. Now we know. Keep your heart with all vigilance or guard your heart. There's a lot of different versions of that as you look at the different English translations, and they encapsulate different parts of this. If you were to translate this very woodenly from the original Hebrew, it would sound something like, above all guarding, guard your heart. And so Solomon's asking us to consider the things and the ways in which we protect the things that are precious to us. Um, you guys have that person in your house that always forgets to lock the front door? You always have to ask or loses the remote control? How many of you guys have the remote control Velcroed to an end table in your living room? <laughs> what, are the things that, what are the things that you guard? What are the things that are precious to you? Maybe you have a safe in your house. Maybe you have some kind of jewelry box that you keep locked with lock and key. I don't know what are the things you guard. Maybe it's your social security number, your bank accounts, uh, your phone. I know uh, you've got to have a six-digit code on your iPhone these days. These are the things that you set up to, to guard and to protect. And we do this in a million different ways. I was thinking about ways that I've learned to guard the hard way. When I was 18, I spent... I was homeschooled, and I finished high school early, and I went to work full-time. That was my dad's big thing. As soon as you're idle and you're a boy, you got to go to work. And so uh, when I was 15 years old, I went to work full-time on a stucco crew, and I started mixing stucco mud eight hours a day, six days a week. And when I turned 18, I started going to, to college part-time. The stucco crew said, you're either in or you're out. And I chose college over stucco. That was a smart choice. And uh, I started cutting grass on the days I didn't have school. And so... My first day on the job, the guy said, you know, here's how you dress, wear something cool, but you're going to get, you know, your legs are going to get cut up and whatever. And he was trying to tell me how to protect myself. And I remember going to work that morning, and I had two choices to pick from. In the closet, I had my stucco-covered work boots that weighed like 12 pounds each, and I had a pair of flip-flops. And so I was thinking, which of these two is the better choice for lawn maintenance? It was my first day cutting grass, and I chose the flip-flops. <laughs> He laughed super hard, told me never to wear those back to work, and it took me like four weeks before the green got out of my toenails. <laughs> I'll just tell you, it was not a smart choice. So we keep a lot of things, we guard a lot of things, but I wonder how much attention we give to how we keep or guard uh, our hearts. Now, we got to consider too, whenever we look into a passage like this that begins with an imperative, keep your heart with all vigilance, guard your heart above all else. Whenever we come to a passage where we are told to do something, it's important that we don't immediately take that out of context and forget who we're relating to, who this advice is coming from, and how this fits into the big picture of life. The New Testament writers got this because when they started writing letters, like the Apostle Paul and the letter to the Ephesians and the Colossians, both of those books are divided evenly into half, where half of the book, the first half, is all about true things that God has done. The indicatives, the things that we do not do, that we do not apply, that we do not respond to. This is who God is. This is what God has done. He is faithful. He is holy. He is just. He is loving. He is merciful and forgiving and faithful. And he has acted in real time. 
by becoming one of us in the person of his son Jesus. He has died for our sins. He has risen victorious over the grave. We have hope in his name. He sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts because we've been cleansed. We are empowered to live for him, to speak for him, and to be his ambassadors on earth. And that is what is true. Now, here's what we do as a result. Sometimes we can get into one little passage of scripture, and especially one that's as kind of concerning as guard your heart with all vigilance, and we can forget that we are in a relationship with Most High God, that we are receiving wisdom from the man chosen by God to be the king of his people who has received a special kind of dispensation of miraculous wisdom and has preserved that wisdom not only for his son and for his son's sons, but for all people of faith, and that is what we are looking at. In fact, we can't start to even answer the question, how do we guard our heart, until we recognize what is already true for us if we are listening up to this point. Go back in chapter 2. This is the second sermon that I preached in this series, but look at this verse again and think about what we've already experienced. Chapter 2 and verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart towards understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. He says there is, there is wisdom to be found that will expand your understanding and your relationship with God and bring you into a right standing before him, one of faith and humility and dependence and followership, and he will dispense upon you the wisdom that you need for life, the knowledge that you need for understanding. And this is the appeal from this father. And this is anchored in the nature and character of God. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord, in all caps, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, I am that I am. I am yours. I am bringing you into a relationship that is forged in blood, that is inseparable, and I want to give you wisdom for life. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. How critical is it for us to understand that before we begin the work of guarding our own hearts, that we recognize that we are being guarded by God himself. That by faith, we are being shielded from every attack of the enemy. Because of who God is to us, we have a deliverer. It is not all on us. Isn't that a great way to start the day? So yes, yes, there is work for us to do. Yes, our hearts are vulnerable and at risk, and we need to be on guard in the way that we protect many things from our checking accounts to our toenails. But our faith and our hope and our rest comes from the fact that the Lord is going to give us the wisdom we need. He is going to be the shield as we walk in integrity. He is going to guard our paths. He is going to watch over his saints. Verse 9 says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. And don't we need a world that understands what these things are? Our world has no idea what these things are. And the functioning definition of these three words are so far from what God says they are that our world is being lost more and more and more every single day. We need people for whom wisdom will come into our hearts because of our connection with Yahweh. His knowledge will be pleasant to our souls and what will happen, verse 11, discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. And so let us not forget that as we, as we study and consider what it means for us to guard our own hearts, vulnerable as they are, 
that that is not the basis of our faith. It is the fact that we have a God in heaven who has moved in our direction. And as much as we trust in him and depend upon him, he is the shield around us. He is our guard and our deliverer. Can I get an amen? Now, we do need to guard our hearts, and we're going to talk about this for a second. But there's, there's, also, there's also a cultural dynamic that I've observed. And this is not in the text. This is my observation of the world around me. And also insights from my beautiful wife who sees the world so much differently than I do. I'm so grateful that God put a man and a woman together in a covenant relationship so that we can benefit from seeing the world exactly the way the other one does not. Can I get an amen? I feel, like, I feel like God's plan for marriage is that there would be a woman for every man saying, I wouldn't do that. And there's a man for every woman saying, I wouldn't say that. And so here we are benefiting from each other. So her and I were talking this week and considering the way that sometimes we super spiritualize this guarding of the heart and we've encountered in our Christian walk a lot of people who are well they're very very guarded maybe maybe over guarded maybe they say very little maybe you never really know quite what they think maybe they're kind of unwilling to share how they feel what their perceptions are they're scared of being judged don't communicate what they think, desire, fear. Don't reveal to anyone who they are. Don't ask for help with weaknesses. And there can be a spiritual sense to when you feel like you're you know, just being a touch guarded. When in fact, oftentimes, not every time, too many of us are actually insecure in our understanding of God's keeping us. And it's keeping us from being able to be real about who we are. And this is a huge hindrance to community. It's a huge hindrance. It's a huge hindrance in intimacy. How can you grow in relationship with someone who will not be known? Do you understand? And so sometimes, before we can put a guard up around our heart, we have to let a guard down around our life. And this doesn't come because people are safe. They're not. And this doesn't come because your heart is impervious. It isn't. This is something that happens when you come to know the God who's got you. And no matter what, no matter what people say, no matter what's exposed, no matter what you walk through, no matter what you have to deal with, he will never leave you and never forsake you. And so some people, before we need the message of how to put up the guards, we got to learn how to take them down. And so I don't know who that's for, but it's for somebody, I guarantee that. Now that's a little bit more rare these days, because uh, the culture we're living in has gone completely in the other direction. Uh, now, instead of being a little bit guarded, which is something that previous generations maybe were a little bit more prone to, now we live in a, if you're under 30, um, guarded is the last thing you are. You grew up living out loud on social media. In fact, you find a value and a virtue in making sure everybody knows what you think about everything all the time. And in fact, you find yourself not only being uninterested and aware of the Ways that your heart can be influenced by other things and lead you to a path of destruction. In fact, you're looking inward at your heart to tell you and the world around you what is true of you so you can be your authentic you. And too many people are on a journey going, I have to become everything that I want, desire, fear, wish, feel on any given day. And we live in a world where there is a personal crisis, a fire hose of what am I today going on. And in the meantime, everyone has to agree with you or else. You guys experience this world? It's very hard for older people to understand what's going on in the world today. 
but it's what's happening. In fact, both of these two things are based on understanding about the nature of the heart. One is living in a world where you don't want to let your heart be seen, and the guard is up, and vulnerability is zero. And another is looking at the heart and saying, this is the defining reality of my base identity around which the world must spin. It's very different, isn't it? But both are making a mistake about what this even means. What, what, is, what is the heart? And both of them have this one thing in common. Both of them have a fundamental belief that you alone are the keeper of your heart. Both of them are devoid from a dependent relationship with the God who made you. One says, I must be God and be my own shield. And one says, I must be God and define my own world. But both of them are godless ways of thinking about one's own heart. Now consider this for a moment. What is the heart exactly? It's funny how we use this word so flexibly and how often it's used different ways in both English and in Hebrew and in Greek and in every other language. It's actually kind of hard to get your hands around. I have been finding the word heart to be kind of like a wet bar of soap. The harder you grab it, the faster it slips out of your hands. What is the heart? We use the heart to talk about a physical vital organ in our bodies. We use the heart to talk about our inward desires or fears. We use the heart to talk about kind of our gut or our instinct. We use the heart to talk about our mind and our will. We use the word heart to mean a whole bunch of different things. And sometimes we're talking to somebody and we're both using the same word, but we're not talking about the same thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so what is the heart exactly? I think if you could take the Bible's definition of the way it's used in this passage, you could say that the heart is the control center of life. So if your life is an airport and you got planes coming in and going down, your heart is air traffic control. It is where all of the input is being processed and all the things that are coming out are being decided and dictated. And this is actually true if you look back in the original language. And I won't bore you with a bunch of Hebrew words that I can't pronounce and you won't remember. But in Proverbs and throughout the Old Testament, there's a couple different words that are used for heart. And they're translated sometimes heart, soul, mind understanding even and then there's other words for heart different words for heart that are translated as appetite desire emotion passion and so even in hebrew there's different words to talk about these different elements and we tend to smash them together and then if you look to see how these words are translated you'll find out that they're actually translated in multiple different ways and it's really hard to put your thumb down exactly on them as you're reading a bible in english but here in this passage we're talking about what, what the lexicon calls the seat, the seat of appetites, the seat of emotions, the seat of passions and courage. And so it's the part of you that takes the feelings you feel and then acts on them is the heart. And there's a different word to talk about what all those feelings are. And we have not got that as a culture. To us, they are one and the same. My feelings are my decision-making center for people, some people are more on the emotional side, and so they're very quick to react to their own emotions. So there's people who maybe get a little hot-headed, a little over-upset, take a few days to cool off. 
And then there's a, some of us who live more in the thinking side where we process things kind of analytically and logically and we step back and we're less engaged emotionally. But all of us are dealing with both feelings, appetites, desires, and we are also making decisions about what we're going to do with what we're feeling. And this is the essence of the heart. It is the control center of life. Take, for instance, Deuteronomy 4, chapter 9. I mean, chapter 4 and verse 9. Here's both of these two words used in the same verse. Only take care and keep your soul. This is all the feelings you feel. Diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. The miracles of God is delivery. Lest they depart from your heart. The part of you that processes all the feelings you feel. All the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And so this is the thing of the heart. It is the control center of life. You guys know that other proverb, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. You guys remember that? See, we live in a culture that is pushing us to follow our heart in various ways. And sometimes we wonder what that means. But I would say this morning from this passage and others like it, that the heart is a terrible thing to follow. And in fact, when you understand what the heart is in Scripture, you'll actually find that your heart requires leadership. Your heart needs to be led. Proverbs 23, 19. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. So the seat of your control center needs to tell your feelings what to do with what they're feeling. Do you understand this? This is so far outside of the realm of anything anybody's considering or talking about in our culture for anybody under 40. You are supposed to be listening to all of your impulses and feelings and insecurities and questionings and then letting that dictate the very essence of your nature and the course of your life. And the Bible's saying the exact opposite. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's good. Just because you want it doesn't mean it's good for you. And just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. And we've got to get this, brothers and sisters, and we've got to demonstrate this, and we've got to share this knowledge. Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind, his own heart, is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered by the Lord. That's a passive. You will be delivered. And so we have to learn to exercise our will and mind and heart and soul in the fear of the Lord, and he will guard you. So we have to be aware now that he is your shield and he's got you, we have to be aware of what we let into our hearts. And so we look back to the passage. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now God is after your heart. He wants your whole heart. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to get in deep on the inside. He wants to have all of you, and he wants you to be coming to him every day like a father and saying, what today, father? What today, dad? What today, one who's bigger than me, stronger than me, has more than me, who I can trust and who I can follow, and help me walk in this course of life. Help me to have the wisdom I need to deal with all the feelings that I'm feeling so that I can end up living the best life and the blessed life. And so Proverbs 4, 23 to 27, keep your heart with all vigilance. And then we're given a why. Here's the reason. For from it flow the springs of life. Now check out these different translations. I want to show you one thing before we ask some questions. New International Version. Above all else, guard your heart. I love that. For everything you do flows from it. And the Hebrew there, the picture is an outpouring. And so the idea of flowing is a really, really good picture. New Living Translation. Guard your heart above all else, well said, for it determines the course of your life. Yes, what you do with all the feelings you feel will dictate where you end up. 
And then look at the King James. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Somebody say, I got issues. I got issues. I got issues. All of us have issues because coming out of our words and our our hearts and our lives and our actions and our decisions, we are creating for us a course, and it is issuing out all sorts of, of problems. Do you realize this? I mean, if, if, we could, if you could go back in time and unsay some of the things you've said, how many of you would do it? If you're not raising your hands because you're asleep. <laughs> if you could rewind the tape and say, man, if I, would, if, I, if I knew better, I would do this differently. You could pick the day oftentimes. To go, man, just right there, that was the spot. So we're, getting, we're being told what to do with our vulnerable heart. And so I want to just ask you three questions, and all along the way I want to just inform our, our thinking biblically. I don't have a lot of time left, so let's do this quickly. Now all of you guys want a quick doctor's office visit, but you want a thorough doctor. <laughs> I feel the same way right now. I want to be in and out of here in 15 minutes where I want everything right, diagnosed, prescribed, and I want to get it at the drugstore on the way home. Let's hurry up. That's how I feel right now. So here's, here's your questions. Number one, do you have a new heart? The Bible's very clear that until Jesus came, everybody was working with the same hardware, and it was totally corrupt. I mean, that's the story over and over and over again. Genesis chapter 6, God decides to flood the whole earth. Why? Because every intention of man's heart was only evil continually, totally corrupt. God shows favor to Noah and decides he's never going to do this again. And he actually says, I'm not going to do it again because their hearts aren't going to change. It's not going to do any good. As long as there's one human left, we still have a human problem. And again and again and again, we see a stubborn, stiff-necked people who can't trust God, won't trust God, always go astray, always run after idols. They're always broken down no matter how, how many warnings they're given. They never repent. And they never do so fully. And at best, God gets a little remnant of faithful people going, sorry, help. That's it. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to fulfill the promise of God that he spoke through the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And what was the promise? I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a living, beating, fleshy heart that's responsive to me spiritually. I will make a new covenant with you. Not like the covenant I made with your forefathers who betrayed me in the wilderness. No, I'm going to write my law on your heart. It's going to get on the inside of you, not on the outside of you. It's going to transform you from the inside out. And I'm going to put my spirit in you. The very living power, eternal life of God is going to be on the inside of you, bringing out the good things that God wants for you. It's not about you learning and doing. It's about you knowing and becoming. Do you see this? And so some of you are sitting in church today, and you've got an old stony heart. And all the stuff I'm going to say to you won't matter at all. You'll be like, that's good. I'm going to do that. No, you're not. None of this works on an old heart. You've got to get a new one first. And I, I got... Scary news for you. You can sit in church for 30 years and listen to sermons every Sunday, and you can never have a new heart. Because the new heart's something God does when you finally say, I relinquish all control of my life over to you. You are God, and I am not, and I need what only you can do, and I'm putting myself entirely at your mercy. When you go all in, listen, this only works if God gets the old, the old stony heart back. This is a core charge. God says, listen, I'm going to give you this new one, but i got to have the old one. Just like an alternator at off, off, the auto zone. Yeah, I'm going to need that old one back. Sometimes we go, I want what you're offering, but I, I'm, I'm not willing to give up this one. I need both of them. No, that's not how it works. And so you need a new heart. So do you have a new heart? It's a good time for you to ask and answer that question. 
If you have not found yourself able to do what God wants you to do or understand what God even says or feel God's presence or make movement in your Christian life over time, if you are not being directed by a power bigger than you, if your life isn't changing, if you're not experiencing the conviction of sin and repentance and change, you may have an old heart. I should do a little comedy sketch. Remember Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck. Maybe we should do a little, you might have a stony dead heart if. That would be fun. Maybe my Netflix special, let's see. So do you have a new heart? I got a bunch of scriptures in here. I'll send them out in the notes this week. Watch for the email. Number two, do you have a whole heart? One of the things you will find as you read the New Testament, that it is possible for you to have a new heart and to have that new heart also and still divided. Where the seeds of doubt are sown, you begin to doubt God's goodness for you because of your circumstances, and you start to put your foot into somebody else's boat. You got your foot on the dock of God and on the boat of self-reliance, on the boat of your employer, on the boat of your spouse, on the boat of your education. And you know what happens when you put one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat? You split. That's what happens. And maybe you're living that life right now. I, don't, I can't think of a clearer example of this in the Old Testament than the story of Samson. If you understand how the story is written and you read these chapters in Judges about Samson, you will see the idea of a divided heart. Here's a guy who, and his heart was stone cold dead, obviously, but he had a calling from God. He had a miraculous birth, is forecast by the angel of the Lord two times because his dad wouldn't listen to his mom. There's a marriage seminar in there, too. But he gets the message from God. He's born under the vow of the Nazarite. No no wine, nothing, no, no fruit of the vine. No, don't ever touch anything dead and don't ever cut your hair. And you are devoted to God for the entirety of your life. And because of this vow, he was endowed with superhuman strength. He was the superhero of the Old Testament. And he was the final deliverer of God's people. It was so bad that people weren't even asking for God's help anymore. They just decided, I guess we're just going to be slaves to the Philistines. Oh, well. And they stopped crying out. And even in the midst of their complacency, God sends Samson. And what you see in the Samson story is Samson has got the calling, the pedigree, the blessing of God, the power of God, the strength of God, the, the call, the anointing, all the things you would need. But all he wants is what his eyes see. He said, ooh, I see an attractive-looking Philistine woman. I want that. Get it for me. And so he uses his power, he uses his position, he uses his strength to get whatever his eyes see. The story goes on and on. He sees a prostitute. He wants her. Ends up with Delilah. He goes to a bunch of women. He touches a bunch of dead things, drinks a bunch of booze. And the only part of the covenant he doesn't break is the seven locks of hair on his head. And you can see that there's an external, visible symbol of what he has from God. And he's holding on to it, but he wants to get all the things that he wants. And there's a, a really important verse in that story. It's Judges 16 and verse 17. You can read it later. People always, these kids always ask me, the kids ask the best questions. They hear the Samson story, and Delilah says, tell me, tell me the secret of your strength. And he lies to her, and she traps him, and he bursts out. Over and over and over again this happens. And then he tells her, it's, it's in my hair, if you cut off my hair. And all the kids are like, why would he do that? That's the dumbest thing ever. If you guys read the Bible, you know this story? You ask that question? It wasn't the hair. He had already transgressed the vow of Nazareth. It wasn't his hair. You know what it was? Verse 17 of chapter 16, it says, and he told her his whole heart. He went full dark side in that moment. He, he made his choice. He lived a divided life going with what he knew and what he saw, his appetites. He was in this struggle that Solomon's writing to his son about, guard your heart, look out. 
And he said, I'm letting go of what God said I am. And I gave it away. And what happens? He spends the rest of his life with his eyes gouged out and spinning in circles at a mill. Sound familiar? You spent your whole life going after what you could see. Now you can't see. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Now you push a rock for the rest of your life. And so I want to ask you, do you have a whole heart? Listen, we are all still capable of an evil, unbelieving heart, living a life of idolatry, of going, I want God, but I can't give up this. I want what God has for me, but not without this. I want God, but I also, also need to trust in this or pursue this, and I won't let it go. You will never be able to guard your heart until you're willing to let go and give God your whole heart. And so do you have a new heart? Do you have a whole heart? And then lastly, and this is where it gets daily, do you have a full heart? And this is what I teach the middle school students. Every week, we call our middle school and high school group the well. There's all these wells in the Bible. It's all places where you come and you drink. And you need that if you live in the desert. And the same thing is true spiritually. And so much of the storyline of the Bible happens near a well. And we have this little tagline we tell the students every single week. God wants you to draw near, drink deep, and live full. Because you know what will save you from making terrible choices in the seventh grade? Living spiritually empty. I tell the kids all the time, you ever skip breakfast and skip lunch, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon you're starving, and so you eat seven Snickers bars and a Mountain Dew? How do you feel? But we do the same thing spiritually. We made a decision to follow Jesus. We got the new heart. Maybe we're struggling to let go or hold on. But how many of us are living every single day not leaving the house until we're full? Not leaving the house until we've connected with our Father in heaven through prayer. Until we've put some of God's truth into our hearts and minds to think about and to meditate on and to try to grow toward. How many of us are trying to guard our heart but we're living empty or half empty or mostly empty? This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. It's what's the most important about us, our union with Christ, but it's one that is alive and active. He says, abide in me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. You are not the source of your own life, brothers and sisters. Your effectiveness at work is not a source of life. The, the apparent success in your relationships, not a source of life. Your children being well behaved, not a source of life. The money in your bank account, not a source of life. Everything you will go after thinking, I will be happy when. When you get it, you will not be happy, and you will choose a new thing to be happy when. Every, this is the, the human experience. You know? They say money won't make you happy, but I just want to find out for myself. Right? Because we all believe it. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, these things I have spoken to you, verse 11, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And so here's your three takeaways, and I'm not going to tell you what these mean. They're pretty self-explanatory, but you can take them home for you. You can study them tomorrow morning. It's the following verses. How do you guard your heart? Shut your mouth, fix your eyes, and watch your step. Maybe I'll just do that sermon at the 1015. I don't know. Shut your mouth, put away crooked speech, put away devious talk. What you say and what you talk about is where you lead your life. Do you realize this? Some of us get this, a lot of us don't. We are literally following our own words. And so many of our words are just, are just mimicked, parroted things we're hearing from other places and we're just saying them and just setting the course of our life. Shut your mouth. Make sure what comes out of there is only good for you and those hearing it. Fix your eyes. Look directly forward. 
and your gaze be straight before you. I love the Passion Translation. Set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose, looking straight ahead. Ignore life's distractions, and there are plenty. Watch where you're going. Stick to the path of truth, and the road will be safe and smooth before you. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked for even a moment or take the detour that leads to darkness. Now, here's the reality, and I'm going to say this boldly. So many times we think we have a problem, and we don't recognize it's because we are not guarding our heart. The problem is not out there. The problem is right here. Listen, a lot of people need to hear this. You don't have a drinking problem. You have a heart problem. You don't have a greed problem. You have a heart problem. You don't have a porn problem. You have a heart problem. You are going to look for something to fix you that cannot fix you. But when you run to the Lord and give him your heart and receive his new miraculous heart, when you're made whole, when you live full, you don't need any of those things. Or you won't be susceptible to the lies that they're promising that they will offer you. They don't. They give you death, destruction, and a hangover. That's what you get. You get a few minutes to not think about it, followed by a whole lifetime of bad repercussions. And so recognize the susceptibility of your own heart. Walk with the Lord and learn how to guard it. Recognize that he is guarding you. I was thinking about the old song, and maybe I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done right now. I know we got, we're out, totally out of time. No one, they're not coming up here. There's no more song. After this, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go. Don't you worry. Um, but I was thinking about, um, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Do you remember this song? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Your father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. And I was singing that to my kids last night. They had never heard that. That was written in the 40s by who knows who. But a lot of us heard that growing up. And I got to the line. There's like six or seven verses. And I got to the line about the heart. And instead of filling in the answer for them to know what the next line was, I stopped to see if they would fill it in because they had been filling it in every other. Be careful, little feet, where you go. And they would. I said, be careful, little heart. And I waited for them to see what they would say. You know what they said? What you feel. What you love. You know what the line is? Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. And that's the perfect line. Because that's what this is about. Your heart is the place where you put your faith in and you love the God who made you. And that is how you guard your heart. Your heart is the control center for your life, but it is also the center of love and trust. And this is where a guarded heart and a guarded life begins. When you look to God and say, I know you love me, and I choose to trust you, and now I am going to follow after you. And you will find the power from the Holy Spirit to know when to shut your mouth and where to fix your eyes and how to watch your step, and you will walk in the paths of righteousness that God wants you to walk in. These are the gates of your heart, and you have to be careful what you allow in. But you don't have to be careful alone. And isn't that good news? Let me pray for us as we close. God, I pray for every person in my hearing, on site, streaming, listening on the radio, whenever they're hearing these words. And I thank you that your word is alive. And anytime we'll tune into it, we are postured to be transformed. God, I pray for anybody in my hearing right now that needs a new heart and feels it. They, they, they know that... Like your word says, they're physically alive, but spiritually there is nothing going on. God, I pray that the miracle of regeneration would occur as they trust in you for the very first time. And that you would take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. 
one that is alive to you, one that understands your word, one that's sensitive to your spirit, and one that begins a journey of dependence and faith. God, I pray for any person in my hearing who has this new heart, but who is also holding on to some idol of the heart, who has a divided heart, who's not, who's not whole. God, I pray that there would be a moment of repentance to say, God, you've got to be number one. And so I'm bringing this thing to your feet and I'm, let, I'm setting it down. Maybe it's a good thing that stays in your life, but it needs to be at number two or three or ten. Maybe it's something that needs to be vanquished and destroyed. But, but I just pray that every person who needs a whole heart would be willing to sacrifice those idols at your feet to come to you and only you. God, I pray for every person in my hearing, God, and myself included, that we would become people who do not leave the house until we are full, full of your truth, full of your love, full of your heart, full of your faithfulness, full of your word, filled with your spirit, filled up on prayer. God, we need to live full so that we can protect the vulnerable place on the inside of us. And God, I pray that we would be mobilized as a community of people that help a deceit-filled and darkened world know that that thing inside their chest will lead them astray and that ought not to be trusted, but there is a God in heaven who has proven his steadfast love and his faithfulness, who is calling every person to put their trust in him. And so help us to walk with you. Help us to guard our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. If you need any prayer of any kind, our prayer teams are here. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Feel free to hang out and chat with each other in the parking lot, but we need your seat. God bless you and have a wonderful day.